The Jewish world has been abuzz this week over Donald Trump's acceptance, over Donald Trump's acceptance of APAC's invitation to speak at its conference this Monday evening. It feels like an unavoidable topic, and I would like to address it tonight on the Shabbat. I don't give many political sermons, and it's only after almost five years here at our congregation that I carefully wade into these waters. Nor do I make assumptions about who is worshiping with us in this sanctuary tonight. Each of us sitting in these pews has a diverse political opinion and the experiences that have shaped them. I grew up in a conservative Texas community, surrounded at my school, my synagogue, and certainly in my own immediate family by Republicans of all kinds, some of whom had a lot of feedback to share as I wrote this sermon. I remember putting a Clinton Gore sticker on my locker in middle school, and a friend told me that I should take it down immediately or no one would want to come to my bat mitzvah party. Sometimes this sacred space is meant to be a peaceful shelter from the storm, and other times it is meant to be a safe place to reflect on the chaotic daily onslaught of information that we get in social media, in our circles and beyond, and to gain clarity on a course of action that is in keeping with our values. I am so grateful to have this bima, this pulpit, from which to speak to a congregation and to humbly attempt to assume a mantle of moral leadership. So with that, back to the issue at hand, Donald Trump speaking at the APAC conference this week. APAC has always issued invitations to all presidential candidates and to politicians and leaders from across the spectrum. So why is this different? Why has Trump's candidacy crossed the line for so many in our community? Is it because he said of Hispanic immigrants, they're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists? Is it because he called for a complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States? Is it because he threatens those who are against him from journalists to protesters, encouraging his followers to just knock the beep out of them, and has created an environment of fear and anger at his rallies? Last week at a rally in Cleveland, a Trump supporter was filmed shouting at protesters, just go to Auschwitz already. Is it because in a speech to the Republican Jewish coalition in December, he said, stupidly, you want to give money. You're not going to support me because I don't want your money. I'm a negotiator like you folks. Is there anyone in this room who doesn't negotiate deals? probably more than any room I've ever spoken to. When we hear these moments, when we hear these sound bites in essence, as American Jews, we are uniquely positioned to recognize the dangers of authoritarianism. We have a sixth, almost spidey sense when we experience a leader who incites fear and bullies vulnerable minorities. 
We do not hear Muslim or Mexican, we hear Jew. We can't help it. We think of the stories we were told as children, that my maternal great-grandparents were run out of a small Texas town by the KKK, or that my paternal grandparents hid from Hungarian fascists even before the Nazis came, and later fled from a repressive Soviet regime. As Jews, we have developed a collective conscience. We know that injustice against one scapegoat can quickly spill over into others, that no one is safe, even if we are smart or we are wealthy, even if they have Jewish grandchildren. So how do we balance our worst fears, our most devastating shared memories with our lives of relative comfort in the United States? From the disagreements among the sages of the Talmud to the representatives at the first Zionist Congress in Switzerland, Jewish tradition is grounded in the notion of healthy debate. Justice Ginsburg issued a statement upon the recent death of her colleague, Justice Scalia. We are different, we are one. Different in our interpretation of written texts, one in our reverence for the Constitution and the institution we serve. We disagreed now and then, but when I wrote for the court and received a Scalia dissent, the opinion ultimately released was notably better than my initial circulation. I have been inspired reading about Ginsburg and Scalia's friendship despite their ideological differences. Their respect both for each other and their contrasting ideas, their model of positive discourse in this time of political upheaval. Jews love to debate just as Ginsburg and Scalia did, but we draw the line at questioning the fundamental value of human life. That each of us was created B'Tselem Elohim in the image of God. We can debate immigration policy, but we cannot debate whether or not immigrants are human beings. We can debate our national security, but we cannot debate excluding an entire ethnic or religious group from our society or the right to live in America as free people. Trump's upcoming speech at a critical moment in the primaries to the largest annual gathering of Jews in America has sparked strong reactions across the Jewish community. From the workmen's circle gathering hundreds of signatures on a petition demanding that APAC rescind its invitation to an ad hoc group of clergy and lay leaders called Come Together Against Hate that has organized a walkout right before the speech, followed by a study session in protest just outside the hall, to our own denomination's response that concludes, the reform movement and our leaders will engage with Mr. Trump at the APAC policy conference in a way that affirms our nation's democracy and our most cherished Jewish values. We will find an appropriate and powerful way to make our voices heard. To just yesterday, our local Jewish Community Relations Council statement, speaking out against bigotry, racism, and incitement, while careful not to name one particular organization or politician, it talks about our history of protecting and fighting for justice against those that are racist. That's all just been 
in the last six days. I ultimately believe that APAC had to invite Trump to speak. APAC's mission is to ensure that America stands with Israel. And in order to do that effectively, it must keep channels of communication open, no matter who is on the other side, and give candidates an opportunity to speak to their policies regarding Israel. In this case, an invitation is not an endorsement, nor does it condone each and every speaker. But for those attending the conference and those watching his speech at home, we should listen critically to Trump's words. We should, follow the, we should follow the Jewish value of derech eretz, of common decency or treating others with respect. In the Talmud, the rabbis use this principle when teaching neither to rejoice among people who are weeping nor to weep among people who are rejoicing. We should not embarrass the controversial presidential candidate, nor do we need to enthusiastically cheer him on. But our silence is not about consent. It's about a greater civility. We will listen actively to Trump's words, and then it will be our turn to speak. If Trump's comments threaten the security of Israel and our freedom here at home, then we will choose to take a stand. We will make an informed decision about where our moral responsibilities lie, and we will model positive discourse. We will not answer hate speech with hate speech or violence with violence. We will respond thoughtfully and comprehensively to his remarks. We will follow the words of the reform movement. We will find an appropriate and powerful way to make our voices heard. I encourage you over the next week to go to the Union for Reform Judaism's website for statements, text sheets, and other resources for how to talk about these issues, how to process them yourself, and with your more immediate and broader community at work, at home, with your extended family, even within our congregation. Our Jewish tradition is about acting out history through ritual so that our people's stories become our own. On Wednesday evening, we will celebrate Purim. We will read and reenact the book of Esther. We will remember a Jewish heroine <clears throat> who pragmatically negotiated court politics in order to save her people from the evil despot Haman who sought to kill the Jews. And in a month, we will sit down at Passover Seder's and reenact the Exodus story. We will remember that we were once strangers, slaves in Egypt, and that God freed us to live as a community based on justice for all. A living history guides us. A living history guides us. It reminds us of our responsibility to our people and to humanity to move towards a world of tzedek, of justice. Shabbat shalom.